0: Stay tuned for Wine Crush, Northwest Wine Stories Uncorked. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. Thanks for joining us here on Portland Radio Project. Today, host Heidi Moore will guide us through two diverse wine stories. The first centers on a veteran-owned and operated winery whose mission is to serve the veteran community through charitable contribution. And the second showcases an urban winery located in southeast Portland, whose philosophy is informed by the old country winemakers of
1: Europe and jazz.
0: We are talking with Ben Martin from Dauntless Wine. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you. So happy to have you here. And finally... After a lot of arm twisting, know, got you out here. I know
1: it's been a while. I think uh, you wanted me on for like the very first show, but I had to decline on you for whatever reason. So I apologize. Glad to be here now. Sure. Well, yeah, you know,
0: <laughs> it's your story, so yeah. we'll, go, we'll go with that. <laughs> so I've known you for quite a while, yeah, actually, yeah. and so I know quite a bit of your story and and where it all started. Your story is really um, it's fun and it's um, there's a lot of seriousness to it. And let's let's hear uh, it.
1: Yeah. So we're veteran owned and operated. as my myself and two partners started this back in. 2014. Um, We wanted to help veterans through viticulture and agriculture because there's a lot of different things that show or studies that show um, that the tactile therapy of dirt is uh, beneficial for PTSD and TBI. And so I was looking for other inspiration, and I found that the French Foreign Legion has a chateau in France where they bring legionnaires back to grow grapes and make wine. And I thought that was a fantastic model, given that we're in a premium wine region here, and I wanted to emulate that. So um, that's how this whole mission got started. We kind of just started bootstrapping it in 2014, 2015. I uh, uh immediately volunteered at the closest vineyard next to me um and to pay for cellar space uh and then enrolled at Chimacourt Wine Studies to start learning about making wine and growing grapes and um 4 years later here I am talking to you. Yeah. Wow, that was uh, quick. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So did you have an interest in wine prior to being in the the service in the military? Did you grow up with any sort of wine influences? I
1: mean, I grew up in Forest Grove. So, I mean, I grew up in Pinot Noir country. Um, My church coincidentally served Kramer wine uh, for communion. And so I just grew up on Pinot Noir. um, And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think it was anything special. It didn't take until I moved out when I joined the Marines to really understand that we actually had something special here. Um, So, long story short, no, I didn't really have a specific influence early on in my life. It was just something that was always there. And I always kind of um, took it for granted. But it didn't take until I left to really appreciate what we have.
0: And I think that's really common for, you know, to grow up in this area. Yeah. You know, wine's around us, but you don't really know and you don't really care. Yeah. And you just really don't get it until yeah. you've moved out. Yeah. And, and I'm very similar in that same respect. Mm-hmm. So were you over in Europe to where you were able to experience some of the wines over there? You mentioned the French legionnaires. Mm-hmm. Was that something that was part of your history in the military to where that peaked it when you were there or when you got back? It
1: was when I got back. I actually um, met a legionnaire. Uh, after I got out of the service, um, he was an American legionnaire. And he kind of tipped me off to this whole idea of uh, the chateau in France with the legion. Um, It's because, you know, legionnaires are all foreigners when they go to France, and they don't get veteran benefits when they go back home. And he was struggling a lot. And I saw that struggle. And so um, he was talking about the chateau and how the legion is trying to help their own um, so I feel like here we get a lot of, uh, help from the VA, but sometimes it's not enough and sometimes we've got to pick ourselves up. And so that's where this whole kind of the kernel of the idea started is that, you know, to, to police our own and to help ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's really, I, I think I actually, I originally ran across you cause you were a wine press. yes winery of the year with this beautiful picture, you know, standing in the, um, in the air museum, I believe. And so, yeah, it really piqued my interest at that point in time. And I thought, Hmm, I need to probably talk to this guy and see what the story is. So do you have plans with where your mission is going forward that we're going to talk about it maybe a little bit more later, but anything we should add?
1: Oh, well, right now, I mean, we've been in transition, I feel like every year, you know, it's like growing and moving and growing and growing. And so it's, um, this whole operation has been bootstrapped from day one, we've never had outside investment has just been us and sweat equity, mostly. Um, so Nobody, for whatever reason, nobody bootstraps a winery and we decided that we'd go and do that. So I guess that's part of our name, you know, just getting into something a little crazy. Um, but right now we are producing at Laurel Ridge, uh, which is just east of Carleton. Um, but we are planning to um, open up our own tasting room and facility, hopefully within the next couple of months. You know, all the places that we're looking at are build to suit. So it's going to take a little sure. bit, but um, yeah, hopefully within the next couple of months we'll have our own spot.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you for starting to tell us the story. We're going to revisit it here in a few minutes, but we'll talk about the wine next. Yeah, okay. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We're... Finished up by talking about the wines and hinting about it just a little bit, but I have to personally tell you what a great fan I am of yours because you've made my husband, who was a non drinking winemaker or wine person <laughs> who you know thinks it's rotten fruit in a glass, a believer now. So he actually drinks wine. You took the time to to make him understand yeah. the beauty and the you know the perfection of drinking wine. So uh, thank you yeah, for no that. Problem. Yes, I, Anytime. It, it was I've heard great. that quite
1: a few times actually. Yeah, like wives being like, you converted my husband into wine. And I think, you know, for the – well, a big portion of it is that they get to see that wine is actually pretty blue collar when they come in and meet me and meet the winery operation. It's not this big chateau experience. It's like guys getting dirty, you know, getting rough and tumble.
0: You know what it was is the fact that you had PBR sitting on the counter and he's like, this is my kind of place. <laughs> yeah. So
1: yeah. <laughs> anyhow. Yeah.
0: But I do want to talk about your wine because you're – First, you did bring us one of your No Man Land um, Pinots, which the labels on your bottles are so beautiful. They're really um, intriguing and very, you know, cinematic to a certain extent. So let's talk about why. And then also just let's talk about the wine. Okay.
1: Yeah, the the No Man's Land um was actually our first label. It's uh it's a for those at home, it's a picture of uh, Canadian soldiers at the Battle of the Somme going up and over. Um it's a tribute to World War 1 because we started on the centennial of World War 1 and we feel like we're all kind of history buffs. And so we feel like that that war in particular is really kind of glossed over and forgotten about. And so we wanted to bring that back to the forefront and really remind people of what that was all about. Um, so 14 through 18, we're going to have this label on on our no man's land. And then that'll be the end of the centennial and 19 on, we'll probably change it. And we have a few ideas with that. But, Perfect. Can um, I wait to see them? Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what we do is we try to, uh, with every label, commemorate either military history or military technology. So the other label I have here is our trebuchet, which um, a lot of people get confused for a catapult, but it's actually an evolution of the catapult. I won't get into it, but... uh, So there's the trebuchet. Come
0: come to the tasting room and you can geek out with Ben. He can tell you all about it. Oh man,
1: I'll talk your ear off about it. Uh, So I have trebuchet and then howitzer. Um, Those two kind of overlapped in the 15th century. Um, So they're related historically, but the wines themselves are also related because um, one is free run, meaning that it's not pressed with the trebuchet and then the howitzer is pressed. So it's deeper, darker, and it has a heavier toast. So it's like the same wines, but you can kind of taste where they diverge from themselves. Um, and people really like that. It's kind of like a mini vertical in two bottles right there. So um, that's that's our labels. I mean, we have our reserve as well, which is the rifle stack, which is our kind of our original logo. Um, we have Rosie the Riveter. Which is my favorite. Uh, yeah, which is... It's
0: my favorite <laughs> yeah. label. It's a great wine, too. Yeah, it's my yeah, favorite that, label. That
1: one was fun to collaborate. I, I did all the labels except that one. My wife and my sister um, collaborated on that one together. I felt it appropriate given the given the topic. So, so uh,
0: are you doing Alpinos then?
1: Right. Actually, I'm working on my first... Syrah this year so wow. yeah yeah it's uh I'm excited for it it's I'm dark looking
0: forward to it in my my wine box yes here yes in a few yes or a or yeah so.
1: it's it's an 18 so oh, I mean it might be a while yeah uh, I'll try to rush it through okay, but I won't cool. push Perfect. it <laughs> thank you for that just yeah, for me yeah yeah exactly you can come taste anytime we'll do some barrel tastings like you know like we did that one time so, absolutely yeah. um,
0: yeah, it's uh, that's my favorite thing. I yeah. love coming in and doing the barrel tasting for yeah. sure, and seeing yeah. what you guys are up to. So, what's what's special about your pinos? What are you doing different? Yeah. Where are they yeah. coming yeah. from?
1: The majority of our grapes come from uh, Jesse Estate, which is uh, north end of the Shahela Mountain Range, so north end of the Willamette Valley altogether. Um, the the wine style is we try to go kind of bigger with the pinot. I as a, other than the trebuchet, everything else I try to swing for more of the I would say Tempranillo Range or maybe Zinfandel range with the Pinot, like so. I give it a lot of uh, aging on the lees, uh, heavier toasts on the oak, um, and I stir it very uh, like religiously almost. You know, I stir it weekly uh, the the lees that is, and so that 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 content gets stirred back up into the solution, and the alcohol breaks it back down. So it kind of gives it this thicker mouth feel. Um, so I don't really like the the thin kind of just acidic driven Pinots. I I like Pinots that kind of have a full range of Expression. Um, Bigger, bolder well, yeah, expressions. Yeah, yeah. And I felt that just appropriate with who we are and our style.
0: Perfect. So I want to talk about the rest of your Pinos in just a second, mm-hmm, but we mm-hmm. are going to come right back. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. So we left off talking about the Pinots and what makes them different, and, and I cut you off, and yeah. I want you to finish. Okay. And also wanted to thank you for bringing the No Man's Land in and sharing it because it is – I like I said, yeah. I'm a fan, yeah. so I really uh, enjoy it. I so appreciate that. Thank you. That. Thank you. It it's, it's
1: actually our bestseller for sure. People love the way it tastes. It's very velvety and kind of creamy. It's got a lot of cherry, cola, the smoke you know kind of it's the vadensville it's 100% vadensville which is a single clone i do i like to do a lot of single clone stuff and um vadensville is just dark and meaty and so it's really fun to work with that and it's appropriate for the label um in terms of where you can taste it right now there's a few um a few shops in portland metro that carry our stuff uh our website dauntlesswine.com will list all of uh the shops in the region that will carry our stuff uh We are in transition right now, so we don't have our own dedicated tasting room. I'm hoping within the next two months we'll have one. We're looking at a spot in Forest Grove and maybe closing on it soon. We just have to kind of finalize that. Uh, So we will hopefully have a spot here shortly where people can come on a regular basis to taste the wine and talk to me about military history if they want to do that. I love that as well. Um, But, yeah, the mission uh, as as a whole is to help veterans one way or another, whether that's donating money back to uh, veteran charities – or um, what we've found to actually be really um, successful is donating wine to their private auctions um, for their wine walls and things like that. And our wine has been able to fetch more money than what we could donate initially. So there was, for example, our No Man's Land uh, in Killeen, Texas, was fetched $1,000, one bottle, uh, for a veteran charity down there. That's
0: fantastic. So,
1: I mean, that's more – I mean, since we're a startup and we're growing, we don't have a lot of, a lot of expendable cash. So that's the one way that we can give back. Another way is that our eventual mission is to have our own estate where veterans can come back and grow grapes and make wine similar to the Chateau in France that we were talking about. So where they can kind of decompress and, um, you know, kind of rehabilitate that way. Um, so just from top to bottom, the whole the whole thing is about veterans and helping them in one way or another.
0: So with that being said – uh, veterans Day is coming up. Yep. And what is going on and what are you involved in? Oh, with yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, I, th- it might be the Marine Corps birthday right about now. I mean, I'm not quite sure, but urat uh, if all the Marines might listen. But so, yeah, on November 9th, I'm actually doing a tasting with the Returning Veterans Project in Portland. Um, they're a local nonprofit for that um, helps veterans. And then um, I'm also doing that with Chris Zarnacki from the Palmer House, who's also a vet, and um, and then uh, the next day the Marine Corps birthday on the 10th we are going down to um, vagabond brewing down in Salem another bunch of Marines and another
0: yeah. group of great guys yeah. that make great beer yeah and are, I'm fans of them too yeah
1: they're, they're rowdy I'm it's fans gonna be of fun a lot of people. yeah yeah yes. they're, they're, so we're gonna be down there for the Marine Corps birthday pouring our wine drinking their beer you know having a good time um, they have a big big party on the Marine Corps birthday and then the next day on the 11th we're gonna still be down there in Salem um, at vagabond doing the alcohol summit they're doing a veteran alcohol summit where it's going to be us pouring wine, then pouring beer, and four spirits pouring spirits. So um it's gonna be a pretty fun weekend, actually. So yeah. <laughs> uh you can you can follow us on uh, Facebook or sign up for our email to get more information. I'll be putting that out pretty quickly here. So um yeah, yeah, it should be fun. Perfect. For sure. Yeah.
0: Anything else that we should know about you before we I cut you loose?
1: Oh man. Um I, I like to have fun. I like to drink PBR, like he says. So, if you got a guy, like wives, if you have a husband out there that doesn't like wine, bring him by, introduce him to me. I'll, I'll convert him, I swear. It's easy.
0: I didn't think it was possible. And <laughs> uh, he'll try a little bit of wine every yeah, once in a while, yeah, you uh, know, yeah. just to I think make me happy. But uh, uh. he would have never done that without your help. So, Ben, thank you so much yeah. for coming in. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Next time I ask you to do something, I don't expect so much pushback. Yeah,
1: yeah drop up a dime.
0: Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Say hello to our second guest today, Jason Gersing from Gersing Cellars. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for coming the blocks across town to join us on the podcast.
2: <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting yeah. me.
0: I, I appreciate you letting me chase you around for the last couple of months to find a date that actually would work for your busy schedule. So um, so wine wasn't your first love originally. You started somewhere else and it kind of blended and moved into wine. Why don't you tell me about it? Because it was, it was really fun sitting and talking to you about this.
2: Yeah, my first love was uh, music. I started playing saxophone in sixth grade um, and got deeper and deeper into it. And I remember a big moment was in 10th grade when the um, famous trumpeter and uh, jazz educator Went Marsalis. He uh, directed the all-county jazz band. I was playing lead alto in that jazz band. Um, and my love for music just deepened uh, beyond that um, And I studied political science uh, in college, but continued to play music. And uh, unlike my uh, fellow classmates who either went to law school or to D.C. to work for senators, I moved to New York to be a jazz saxophonist. (laughs) Makes total sense, Pretty, right? Well, I don't know. I think it's super romantic and,
0: and a whole lot more fun than what your other classmates did.
2: Yeah. But before I got there, um, I I studied abroad in college in uh, in Italy, in Florence, Italy. And uh, that was my first uh, real experience with wine just being a normal part of life. I've lived with an Italian family and they had wine on the table every day.
0: Every um, day, all day.
2: Every day, all day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, there was nothing scheduled uh, except for dinner. That was the only thing that was very scheduled in in Florence and uh, with my family. And So every day, 8 o'clock, I was there for dinner and enjoying wine with them. And that moment sort of like planted the seed. And then uh, years later in in New York, um, I was working as a tutor and a saxophonist. um, But I got this opportunity to work harvest out on Long Island. They're growing a lot of great wine, actually. um, Interesting. On the, the North Fork and South Fork of Long Island. And uh, both the head winemaker and the assistant maker at Bedell Cellars at the time were uh, Davis grads, UC Davis grads. And I got really interested in uh, uh, figuring out what I need to do to apply to UC Davis for their enology and viticulture program. Met with admissions and uh, uh, the admissions officer at that point asked me, uh, so what did you major? And I said, political science. He said, did you take any math and science? I said, no. <laughs> so I went back to school, went to Queensborough Community College uh took biochem, biochem, calculus, uh, um, preparing to go to to move to California and, and go to UC Davis. And instead, I reconnected with uh, uh, an old uh, classmate and friend of mine and ended up going to Paris instead.
0: That sounds a lot um, more fun. Yes. <laughs> it, w-
2: it was a good move. A little move. bit more romantic. Yeah, yeah.
0: Romantic is kind of like, like kind of going through this entire it's, it's thing. It's a bit of a theme. It's, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs>
2: So uh, ultimately, I found a, a program at uh, Montpellier Supagro in the south of France in Montpellier. Um, and uh, year, year and a half into being in France, I started a program down there in the knowledge of viticulture and wine business.
0: So how did so you went from uh, Italy to France? Well, Italy to New York to France. Yep. And somehow you ended up in the beautiful soggy Pacific Northwest. Oh yeah, which it makes is total the mecca sense. of wine, which is amazing. <laughs> So why and how?
2: Well, I wanted to come back to the U.S. at some point, and uh, I grew up in Miami, um, and I'd lived in New York. I'd done the East Coast. I wanted to try the West Coast, and particularly, I I had a fascination with Oregon and Pinot Noir um, and the Pacific Northwest in general. And so I I took a trip um, three weeks in Oregon. I was like, I can do this. In fact, there's a lot of the the lifestyle that reminded me of uh, life in Europe, so something's going on here that I really like.
0: Perfect. Well, yeah. I'm so glad that you came over here because you've been you've been a fun addition to my my friend circle. <laughs> um so why did you stay? I mean, was it was it just the love of the Pacific Northwest and the Pinot Noir or was there something else?
2: Um I like the culture here, but definitely um the the wine, food, beer, that whole scene was great and I got connected into the into the industry uh, fairly quickly. I, I started making wine at home and then I, um, I worked at Argyle uh, Winery from 2013 to 15. And that's actually, uh, it was through a connection at Argyle that I got connected to Tom and Kate of the Southeast Wine Collective. And then this opportunity opened up to be able to make my own wine. Uh, commercially rather than just in my basement in the bathtub <laughs> in the, actually yeah the bathtub the fr- when I was living in an apartment and then in a house uh, did primary in the garage and uh, and uh, aged in the basement awesome <laughs> i love
0: it well we're going to come back in just a second and you're going to tell me all about the wine and we're going to talk a little bit more looking forward to it You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.FM. We were just starting to talk about wine and I cut you off. I want you to start from the beginning and um, tell us all about the different varietals you're doing because there's quite a few of them. You did bring the Merlot today, which I'm super intrigued with because I watched a movie a few months ago in Sideways, which is infamous for killing the Merlot yes. industry, I guess. <clears throat> but it's coming back, which is super exciting. And this is just beautiful wine.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Merlot, I, I think is and I hope is making a comeback. Um, but I, I did make a nod to that movie uh, with Merlot in 2015. I called it just red wine and I gave it a specific name, Ducouté, which in French – among other things, can mean sideways. So it's a direct nod to the movie. Yes. Um, of I course, had, the, the irony I had of,
0: no idea that that movie killed Merlot.
2: It, <laughs> nearly single-handedly, yeah. It's, yes. it's, 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 it's pretty crazy. And Merlot is such a, um, I think, a wonderful grape. It's, uh, it's so generous. I mean, there's a reason that uh, it's blended with Cab a lot in, in Bordeaux and, and other places. Uh, makes wine, you know, much more approachable when it's young, and uh, yeah, I think wine—it's delicious. And the irony of that movie too is the the, the wine that he's saving uh, for so long is a uh, predominantly Merlot-based uh, wine.
0: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's great. So you've brought us both a 15 and a 16. Yes. Completely different, as yes. far as taste, texture, and tannins, and all that good stuff. But I know you're doing more than just Merlot. Yes. Yes.
2: I've got, uh, yeah, I've got a, a, a lot of fingers in different uh, pies at this point. So I've got, uh, I'm making Merlot, Cab, uh, Syrah, Nebbiolo, which is a really fun one, um, Viognier. Uh, I made a Pinot Gris in, in 15, although they ripped up the vines right after that, unfortunately. And then I make a, a couple different uh, Pinot Noirs as well.
0: So, What's yeah. your favorite?
2: I love all my children. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. That's a great answer.
0: So I want you to – your style is different. I mean, everybody has their own individual style. What makes your style different than Ben's? I mean, Ben's sitting next to you. It's What's different? Why?
2: Um, well, I, I guess I could talk about the difference in the Pinot Noir, but I, I really – I think what I I know most surely is that I'm trying to do these bigger reds, uh, Merlot, Cab, Syrah. Uh, that I'm sourcing from Eastern Washington, Yakima, uh, Walla Walla, with uh, a little bit more uh, acid, trying to to create a balance that I, I don't always get in the the versions that I taste. Um, some people are doing it really, really well, and uh, I, I'm modeling somewhat after them, and then of course uh, after uh, French wines that I became familiar with when I was over there for a few years. So. Um, for me, there always has to be a refreshing element to wine, even a big red,
0: and that's what I'm trying to do. Pairing wine with food is always a big deal, mm. so and it's it's almost like that magical thing when you can find the best, you know, the best match of that wine in the food. So, are your wines? I mean, what are you what are you after as far as where you're matching them? What you want it to? What do you want it to do? What emotion do you want it to evoke?
2: Um, surprise. Uh, one of the things that I, I love about the wines is that uh, they age very well. And so what I like to do is open them, open in any of these wines and drink them over uh, two, three, four, even five days. And they just evolve beautifully. And uh, you get these very different expressions over that time. And it is a, um, it's an indication of, of longevity of the wine. Um, and I definitely, you know, you mentioned pairing. I love thinking about pairings. I have a good friend who's a chef and he, uh, has taken a real special interest in my wines and I always love going to him and saying, hey, man, what do you think about the, uh, uh, with this Madrona Hill? And he, you know, he just, without hesitation, roast duck. <laughs> I like <laughs> I love those duck. things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I just—it's it, just—I had no idea when I started into this wine journey yeah. how important the balancing of the food and the wine were. Yeah. And when somebody does it so effortlessly and so seamlessly, mm. it's just—it's really—it is a magical moment. Yeah. And it just makes the food so much better.
2: And in my opinion, too, the uh, these more balanced wines, the higher acid uh, wines, they—they they tend to have a little bit more flexibility in
0: pairings as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. So, yeah, thank you for telling us about the wine. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to you just a little bit more. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Right off the top, we had hinted about the marriage of the two loves of your life, and we just hadn't fully gotten a great full answer on that. So let's uh, circle back. Let's talk about jazz and wine and how those go together so well.
2: First of all, it's a great pairing, jazz and wine. But uh, in terms of um, my philosophy um, about both or how maybe uh, jazz influences uh, my winemaking styles, there's a, a saying in jazz that you have to learn the rules before you can break them. Um, and another way that I think about it is, um, you can be creative, um, by first having discipline. And so, um, when jazz, what that means is like, that means learning your scales. It means, uh, you know, studying on your own a lot, preparing a lot of preparation. And then once you get to a place um, where you're fully prepared, then that's when the the, the freedom uh, sort of presents itself to, to to be creative, and I think that the same is true in wine. And I've I've uh, as, since I was bitten by the the wine bug, I've I've tried to learn as much as possible. Um, you know, taking classes from diverse locations like UC Davis through Montpellier, and then when I moved here um, through Chimekida to learn this landscape, um, and I think from that discipline, uh, learning from others. Uh, that leaves uh, more room for creativity um, and trying to get some sort of individualistic style out of, uh, out of the wine. Just like in jazz, you, you ultimately want your own voice. Uh, in the beginning, you mimic others, uh, you, you do a lot of copying, but uh, ultimately the, the main goal is to find your, your own voice. And I think that's true in both, both wine and jazz.
0: That was very beautifully put. Thank you. Nice, nice work. <laughs> yes, I like. I well, like it. Welcome,
2: Post. Yes, it was great.
0: Yes, Back to Sp- Music. Spontaneous yeah, composition. It that's, was. That's it was great. Improv is. Um, you are part of a an interesting group that I didn't even know existed until a few months ago. Um, with the the PDX Urban Durban. Wine. Yes, and so I want you to, I want you to really talk about that because I mean, when you talk about Portland and you talk about wine you immediately go to the valley. You don't talk about wine in actual Portland itself. And the um, Urban Wine
2: Association Association
0: really has done an amazing job with these little pop-up wineries around the city.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, there's even an urban wine map that's put out by the association. So we're trying to promote the idea that, you know, you, of course, going out, I love going out to the valley too. But, you know, maybe you come into town, you don't have a lot of time or you live in Portland and you just want to explore wines here. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, different wineries and such variation because you have a lot of folks um, like myself who, uh, you know, we don't have, I don't have a vineyard, but I source from a lot of different places from the valley here, but then also from Washington, and so you get this variety of uh, of varieties. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can speak um, most thoroughly about making wine at the Southeast Wine Collective. Um, you know, it's the the number of winemakers always changes, but it tends to be uh, close to ten winemakers in that space. Which and is
0: amazing. If you've yes. <laughs> ever been to the building that they make wine, I've heard it called Tetris before. Where yes. everybody's moving things around at high speed. But there's a kitchen and there's a tasting room and there's a production space in a very small space for 10 people. And neighbors. And neighbors.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a very tight space. Um, and uh, it's a lot of collaboration and communication is key. And it's it's amazing. It's amazing dance and it always seems to work out. Um and there's always obstacles thrown in. There's always curveballs and uh it's a great group and uh Tom and Kate, the owners, do an excellent job of uh managing uh chaos, essentially.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. it's I it, I was shocked and surprised and awed and just wowed when I was there. So highly suggest people going out and checking it out. It's
2: definitely a fun place to visit. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs>
0: it was so much fun. I know you have some events and some things coming up. The holidays, yeah. surprisingly and shockingly, are coming up really fast. Yeah. So what do you have going on?
2: Uh, so we have on November 17th, uh, Urban Thanksgiving. That's a big event at the Southeast Wine Collective. Uh, all the winemakers there, so 10 winemakers pouring up to three wines. It's a big event. And That's a lot, lot of wine. Of, a lot of fun. <laughs> it gets pretty loose. I bet. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then in December, December 2nd, the PDX Urban Wineries Association is uh, having a pouring event at Hipchick's Do Wine. Uh, Fantastic. And then, and this is probably TBD, but I, I, I have a, a pouring at uh, Vino Veritas in uh, Montevilla which is a great little wine bar if you haven't been.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Well, I'll be looking for pictures for that one because I'm Excellent. pretty sure I won't make that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jason, so much for being here. And I so, again, appreciate you coming the blocks from your, <laughs> from your wine studio to come over here and join us.
2: It's been a real pleasure, Heidi. Yes. Thank you.
0: Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for the premiere of Wine Crush Season 2. Have a great weekend, and we will see you at the bottom of the glass.